Let's talk JMMA with Charlie Jewett from sogo-kaku.com. This is a podcast about the deep end of Japanese combat sports scene. I'm your host, Shu Hirata from On the Road Management. Now, let's begin. Hi, Charlie. How are you? Hi, how are you? Um, I hate to start with this, but I always have to ask you about this corona situation in Japan. <laughs> I, I hear that, like, what, like three, four thousand people in Tokyo alone or something like that? In fact, yeah, it's getting worse. I think it's closer to five thousand. Oh, but... so no, this concerns. Plus, the, the media. Yeah. The media is kind of going negative as well. Um, there's reports that like hospital capacities have been filled. Mm. People are being like turned away from hospitals. There's a big news story about like a pregnant lady that got coronavirus that nobody would come get her from an ambulance, and then then the baby died. Well, and it was all over the news. Busy? Is that what it was? It was too. No, just because there's nowhere to take them. Ah. Yeah, you know, like, there's very interesting rules in Japan that if you call ambulance, right, before they take you to the hospital, those EMS guys has to actually call every hospital yeah. to make sure they will accept it. Then they will go out there. So you could be sitting on the ambulance for like 30, 40 minutes. Right, so like there's this little panic kind of now that people are realizing it's now serious because people are being turned away from hospitals. They're just being told, like, go home. You're not that bad, and then they die. So it's oh, not that's good. Bad. Actually, that's really good. But they got to the hospital and got rejected, basically. Not right, they'll get turned away. They go home. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not like sounds like it was like in the U.S. like last year when oh. like hospital capacities were at full. Oh, okay. And then more more related to rising. Did you see the news about Panchan Rina? Yeah. Yeah, I saw that she got sick after the second shots, and yeah, really sick. She had to. She got an ambulance, took her to a hospital. She went into like anaphylactic shock. And um, she is not happy about it. She's been tweeting a lot about the vaccine recently. I hate to say this, but it's three weeks till the fight, though. So she might want to consider, or Rising should actually even consider pushing that fight back to the October show. She was talking about how she wasn't able to train because it was serious. But yeah. again, my first question was, in October show, do you think it will be a problem? Because if there's more infected people out there, government might make some rules again that you can't be more than 5,000 people or you can't even do the event and that type of stuff, you know? Well, it's hard to say what the government's going to do because it changes so often. That it's almost impossible yeah, yeah. to plan anything. But right. the one consistent thing that I think that's that I've noticed is once an event has sold tickets, they've never made that event cancel. That's true. Yeah. Once the tickets are yeah on sale. Yeah. So to go on, basically. I feel like if tickets have been sold, the events are fine. They'll just make not allow them to sell any more tickets. Because we mm-hmm. unless things get really bad, we've never had an we've never had an event where they've forced people to cancel it the closest was the k1 show where they just made them that's true right the other one's address but they didn't listen to them so they just went out ahead and did the yeah. show so and it's yeah, not that they created many infected people from that show so i think yeah but what most of the japanese stuff is just the government asking people nicely to do something right, right exactly it's just a request yeah right, yeah mm-hmm. no i mean so I guess so. Then what they should do, what Rising should do, is just announce all the rest of the year shows and just start selling tickets right now. 
if it's yeah. announcing car, then they could tell the government, well, it's tough. There's not much you could do. You know? well, there's also like, even though the numbers are up, I mean, as I've been saying in the past couple of weeks, there's like, I think there's this general thing where it's kind of over it. Mm-hmm. People are like refusing to quarantine, if that makes sense. Oh, right. Like planes are full, people are out and about, people are out doing whatever they want to do. This. I'm going to tell you this on the record. Most mm-hmm. of the people I know or seen on the SNS or friends, friends, whatever that is, the Japanese people who actually went back to Japan and they're supposed to be quarantined for 14 days, none of them did. I know they're yeah. playing around, drinking with friends, you know. And they're doing the, that's the, the dice team impression and they're going out that <laughs> night and getting wasted at expensive Exactly, bars. right, right, right. And some of the Olympic athletes broke that rules, right? I mean, there were some issues about it. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, my wife even told me some guy at her work or something like tested positive for the virus mm-hmm. and was asked to stay home, but he was like, oh, I was bored. So I just like went around, went out to eat and did stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, well, I know. I'm like, that well, guy sounds like a complete dick. Right. But, well, anyway, so well, before that, before we get into the first topic, uh, I was just going to mention about this ambulance issue. You know how the Japanese ambulance, would they come in, they would have to go all the hospitals and mm-hmm. figure out where to take the, you know, patients. Um, in the UFC Japan show, you remember when Mark Hunt broke Stefan Struve's jaw? I think I vaguely remember... It was on a weekend. It was on a Sunday, right? Right, right. But here's what it is. What happened? Like he, the ambulance was there. Of course, it was the eight ambulance waiting on that show because that's the rules that UFC have. And they had the EMS guys there. But the problem was the EMS guy has no right to make any shots. They can't give out the shots. They're not, they're not licensed allowed. All they do is take the you know, patient to the hospital. So Stefan needed to get some shots, right, because he, he was in pain. But he couldn't do it, and they really couldn't understand what he was really asking for right there. So they could have called a doctor to get the shots, but couldn't explain the fact the EMS couldn't give him the shots. So he sat around for like 30, 40 minutes while those staff were calling in a hospital to make sure they could accept him. Later, of course, he went back and complained that the Dana White, and it was a huge issue. Yeah, yeah that sounds awful. Right. That was a bad break. That was like straight down his job. Right. But it's kind of weird, right? Like the, the ambulance gets there, but you have to call the ambulance. I mean, the hospital to make sure they accept it. So, you know, my experience, like there's like there's like good things and bad things with the Japanese medical system. Right. The good things are like oh, there's like universal healthcare and stuff yeah, like that. Of course. The bad things is like extremely long wait times. Oh yeah, I know why. You make appointment, but you still have to wait like two hours. Yeah, my. Wife goes to the doctor and it's like a whole day thing. It's like, okay, I'm going at 10 a.m. Be back at like five. So exactly, right. I, think, I think personally, I felt the doctor's a little too arrogant to make patients like that. I mean, why can't they make appointments and do according to what they're supposed? to, Especially regular walking up patient, you know. That was my thing too. I was just wondering, like, it has to be a more efficient way because. Oh yeah. I understand that there's like a bunch of old people in Japan that need like longer sessions with the doctor. So why don't you just have one doctor who's handling all the easy stuff and it's getting people out in and out. Right. And then one guy who's handling the more detailed consultations that, that that way you kind of have an express lane where people that don't, all they need is like a, because in Japan you have to like go to the doctor to get your prescription renewed. You just can't do it at the pharmacy. Well, I know they don't do it online. You know, here you send the the information to near a pharmacy. You just go yeah, so why can't they just have like an express lane doctor empty out, empty out three quarters of the waiting room 
Right. <laughs> but yeah, I guess they just don't care. Yeah, I they figure people will wait that. no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. They they have. I mean, because I've been to many many hospitals, not just for myself, but with the fighters. Mm-hmm. And every time I go through the procedure of surgeries or emergencies, I feel like they're just U.S. hospitals are a thousand times more efficient than in yeah. Japan. Yeah. Anyway, so let's get to the MMA topic, which is a rising landmark. They announced, yeah. uh, which is the studio show by Rising. It's a new series. It's just geared on like a pay-per-view only. So I think this is sort of like a test that Rising is doing to the to develop the new source of income on this new era of COVID, where you yeah. might be able to do too many like live shows. Did he say, did Sakakamara say, I think, that they're planning, they want to do it like once every two months? Well, they were planning, right, yeah. Which? This is, I can reveal this right now. They always had this plan of doing a small event. Now, right. The working title was a uh, studio rising. They have been talking about it. But now I can reveal this about a year ago, even just go back to Rewind. Do you remember they were talking about possible Mikuru Asakura versus uh, Ren Hiramoto? Somewhere about oh, yeah. Mount Fuji or like a Tokyo yeah. Tower kind of stuff. Actually, that was actually a realistic proposal. And they were going to do a Mount Fuji uh, outdoor event uh, <laughs> on Mikuru versus Ren. And it's limited to only 100 people, right? And everything else is a pay-per-view. So they're really geared to streaming. So are those hundred seats all be like thousand dollar tickets? No, it's like hundred seats, uh, one million yen each. So that's like a nine thousand. Yeah, it's like a t- essentially ten thousand like grand, right? Yeah, and they were confident they could sell hundred at ten k. Well, if you put Mikuro on there, you could guarantee. I mean, you'd sell hundred easily. I feel like. Right. So here's what it is. So they always had the plan to do this little small shows, which is like gear towards pay-per-view or streaming only. Because look at it. I mean, guy like Mikura Sakura makes, seems like makes most of the money coming from YouTubes and stuff like that, right? Related right. from YouTubes. So they already have that market. So I, yeah. you know, that has to be the main reason why Sakakibara decided to do this. Other than, of course, the fact that during the COVID, you know, they couldn't do too many live shows, so why not do studio shows, right? Everything Apex is doing, you know? You just got to go back to the fact that Rising finally realized that they can't have one source of revenue. Yeah, yeah, you know. When when COVID struck and the Fuji TV shows weren't able to happen, like they were scheduled, all of a sudden Rising was like on the verge of dying and they had to do the crowdfunding campaign. So now I feel like they're really trying to think of creative ways to make other money. In a way, finally, right? Because yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, all days they had only three sources of revenue: one from the national television licensing, mm-hmm. one ticket sales, and one sponsors. Right. And, uh, that, but the sponsors goes away when you lose national television, right? So <laughs> you know, you have the ticket sales left in that sense. And this seems like. I mean, I don't know, like maybe slightly motivated by Fight Island or something like that, where they're like, wait a minute, if we can keep putting on, because if they can put on a smaller event with a high production value, it'd still be really cheap to put the event on. Oh, wait. Renting out like a huge stadium. 
Right, and five fights only. And if they could sell exactly. the same amount of pay-per-view as their live arena shows, they have to be making money on that, right? Plus, if they tie the pay to the pay-per-view revenue, right? I mean, what do they what what do they have to lose? Exactly, and this is what five thousand yen each, which is about yeah. you know forty-seven dollars. Right? Okay, so let's say it's fifty bucks. Okay. I have a feeling that Mikuru Asakura's follower followers alone will probably maybe it can depend maybe twenty thousand buys. That sounds realistic. I think this is all realistic, right? Much like the women's kickboxing match, I feel like this is a test. They're kind of putting their toe in the water to see what happens. Right. Because Mikuru is really popular on YouTube, but YouTube is free. I yes. think this is a test to see who will pay to see, because it's five fights on this event, but let's just be realistic. The fight people are paying for is the Mikuru Asakura fight. And so they're trying to see if these YouTubers will pay to watch him fight and essentially just him fight. Right, him and also against Hagiwara, which is actually popular, right, yes. among the yes. underground hardcore fan, whatever, you know, like. Plus so, they have, they've been talking back and forth on Twitter, so there's a little bit of history between them. Right. I'm very interested. Like, I, I know they will never tell me, but I, I know they will never announce, but I'm pretty sure Mikuru cut some kind of deal that he'll get a share, a big share of pay-per-views. Yeah. Well, it has to be because, plus, this seems right up his alley. I mean, it seems like they were really stroking his ego with this, kind of like, that, not, not necessarily that, but what he's obsessed with, not obsessed, but he's been concentrating on, like, his one-minute fight show. Mm-hmm. And so I think he's really interested in kind of expanding martial arts through new avenues online. Right. And yeah. this is a good way to do that. Right. And actually... He is also marketing himself as he's not just a fighter anymore, right? It's like a multiple, like a businessman, right. and the entrepreneur sort of. I think he has like five companies already, you know? Well, in many ways, he's more of a personality now, I would yeah, feel like. Exactly. And I think recently he announced on Twitter that he just spent a million dollars, almost a million dollars to buy some land. Yeah. Um, he'll build a condominium on this, so he'll make money on that kind of stuff. Yeah, my wife watches his YouTube channel, and the people that work on his YouTube channel are living in apartments that cost like $20,000 a month in Tokyo. <laughs> so he's making a lot of money somehow. <laughs> no, but that's good. Good for him. I guess he's a successful exactly. businessman in that sense, right? And mm-hmm. which means that I think he's taking the right route because face it, Hagirai is not going to be Asakura. He's Unless not- it's like a freak knockout. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Hagirai is not even that level at all. I mean, I I can't believe that he himself doesn't realize that, right? (laughs) Hey, I mean, it's a good opportunity for him as well. I heard rumors that I heard rumors that Road FC that he was kind of upset that he hadn't been fighting recently. Yeah, and that Road FC actually reached out to him, and he tweeted about it, didn't he? Aguilar tweeted about being contacted about some foreign promotion, right? Right. right. People are assuming it's just Road FC Mm because. Road FC needed a new Japanese fighter to come over. For for a featherweight title fight. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, in September. Because we actually yeah. got the contacted by Road FC, too. They were interested in Uruka Sasaki. Yeah. And this yeah. is actually kind of the perfect thing for Rising because it keeps a popular fighter like Hagiwara in Rising. Mm-hmm. It gives him a big event, so he's happy. Right. And then, plus it's a fight that Asakura is probably going to win, so it makes Asakura's star even bigger. It's kind of win-win for them. Right. Plus... And, uh, 
you know, as we can see, it's hard to buy this whole landmark thing about like where is it going to be, right? And here's what it is: just like what happened to Shuto Watanabe, who fought the Kai Asagura, just because he fought Asagura, he's getting more gigs, you know, yeah. you know, a little bit more on YouTube's and everything else. So you do. It's like in pro wrestling world, all days, like everybody wants to fight Ric Flair. <laughs> it's like the same thing, right? Because he's there. You get, the, you get that rub. Like even it's like it's like going on a popular podcast like Joe Rogan or something. You get that rub right. where you look back and all of a sudden your followers have increased too. So Yeah, exactly. So Shuto's a good Watanabe Shuto's a good example because he's on this card, but I mean, before his fight with Asakura Kai, nobody was talking about him. And now he's kind I of mean, I hate to tell I mean I don't mean to insult him or anything like that, but he wasn't even fighting for like Pancras or Shuto or yeah. league. So he was fighting a little bit even below that league, right? So it was even he zest, was he zest? Right, zest and nexus and stuff like nexus, that. So, yeah. Uh it was almost a miracle that he even made it to the rising. So, yeah, exactly. yeah, so his life changed in after I mean after he fought Kai Asakura, obviously. I mean after he was announced that he was fighting. Yeah. everything changed and even me i kind of watch his youtube because he's kind of funny right you know? i will say i will say that's i'm also going to credit a little bit that with rising because yeah. it's like the ufc has a clear template of the type of fighter they want yeah and if you're that type of fighter they're going to promote you that way whereas rising takes what you are and just leans into it yeah and so shuta watanabe is like this really awkward high-pitched kind of guy and they just leaned into it, kind of like and like the same with Naoki, who's like um, kind of shy. Exactly, Rising just leans into it, lets you be who you are, and it, yeah. people get. I mean, people like all different types of people, so fans get attracted to all the different types of different fighters. Yeah, exactly. That's the one of the criticisms sometimes UFC gets is like everything looks the same in UFC, but that's yeah. how their branding is. But in a way, that almost all the fighters almost look the same, you know, except yeah. the real recognizable top top guys but anyway so so far five fights are announced five thousand yen for rising landmark and i did see some of the criticism from the fans that oh it's only five fights and it's still like almost the same price or even higher than the regular rising shows yeah it kind of reminds me of like uh more of like um boxing where people are just paying for the main event exactly that's my point right yeah, yeah. they're just paying for the main event who cares about the preliminary right exactly like I mean, I mean, I don't even know who fights in on the card of uh, Woodley versus Paul today. <laughs> yeah, it won't even affect the pay per view buys, so nah, nobody really cares. But again, everybody else makes money, and the rising same case. If they're doing this every other month, top of the live shows, which means more spots are better for the fighters. So, this is my dream. Like I, was, I was joking with a friend about this about the landmarks because. They kind of hinted they're going to be doing it at famous Japanese locations, right? Mm-hmm. So my dream would be to do it at Miyajima on like the floating ah, island kind of thing. Nice. I know Victoria's Secret did a run show there, right. so I know they're open to people using it. I just mm-hmm. like it'd be, I feel like it'd be so expensive that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, be exactly. awesome. I think exactly that was. I was just thinking the same thing because just like I mentioned, like the, the reason why they're looking at the Mount Fuji was because. There's a huge famous music festival in Japan called Fuji Rock. Right. So they wanted to go to that place. And they were thinking about it on the foot of Tokyo Tower, you mm-hmm. know, those landmark places. But the problem is that if you do that, you might end up costing more than doing the regular arena shows. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of those places, I mean, to, 
even if you close it down for a day just for yourselves, they're losing so much money in oh, like tourism and other things. You have to make it worth their while. I don't think you can close the day anyway, you know? So yeah, exactly. you have to, to maneuver something, you know? Yeah. Actually, Japan is very known for hard to get a permit. And that's one of the reasons why the Japanese film industry are having a difficulty uh, shooting car chase scenes. Oh, so yeah. In the Japanese film, car chasing sucks big time. <laughs> it's actually just, read a, you can't do it, you know? I actually read a new story recently. It's funny you say that. It said during Tokyo Drift, they didn't have permits to film in Shibuya. Yeah. And so they hired a guy to get arrested. They hired a guy to say that he was the guy in charge and his job was to get arrested. And they just filmed it in Shibuya without permission. And then he got arrested and they just paid his fines and all that stuff. No, they do that. And actually yeah. famous uh, Takeshi Kitano half yeah. joked about this, that when he, he goes to Hollywood, you know, union rules. So everybody gets the chairs and you're eating in a nice lounge, you know, under the canvas camp and everything else. But in Japan, all the staff are sitting on the, uh, you know, you know, like a street eating bento and stuff. And once he said he was shooting on the street, no permit. And yeah. next thing you know, his DP, the cameraman, they were gone. And he was wondering where they are. And next thing you know, they were running down the street and the cops were chasing them. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's just weird. You right. think they'd be more friendly. Yeah, exactly. So here's what it is. So it, it's I don't think it's really realistic for Rising to go to all these famous places to do these Rising landmark shows. Yeah, unless they get the unless they get unless for some reason the landmark wants to get like free promotion. Exactly right. But most of those places are so famous that they don't need promotion. Oh, and besides, think about the insurance you have to pay if it's like historical. Well, I'm just like thinking like ways, you know. It's one of those things where it, it's just not going to be as cool as what it sounds like. What, what ends up being delivered isn't going to be what's what your mind goes to because. When they say historical landmark, I'm like, are they going to have a fight at Meiji Shrine? Or are they going to have a fight? I'm going to do a research on it. I think, I don't know if it's Genki Sudo or somebody did some shows at Temple in the past. Oh, it's part of his band? Uh, I forgot. I'm going to find out. But what did I think yeah. it was some kind of grappling show or something. So okay. at some temples or something like that, it, I guess it can be possible. <laughs> but I don't know if that's going to be a landmark. You know what I mean? Like, just really hope that the Buddhist monks or the Shinto monks are fans of Mikuro Sakura. True. Yeah. So <laughs> I think in terms of landmark, maybe they maybe they could go around the maybe famous studio or live house or something like that. Yeah. I know. Again, then it doesn't make sense, right? Because I think the studio show is the what they're looking to do, it seems like. Yeah, exactly. yeah, but then my one of the concerns that I would have if I rise in is that then that's going to make them look a little bit like Abema TV shows, which I guess they're like sort of like competitors in Japan, right? So, what do you mean? They do the in studio shows? Yeah, like in studio shows. Like, so that's what Abema TV does pretty much. Yeah. Um, they just have to make sure they make it look different. I mean, Right, somehow different. That's why maybe they made it like a landmark instead of a studio yeah. rising. You know That's I mean? true. Yeah. Because Abima has like a very distinctive look to its production value. Uh -huh. So I feel like Rise should be able to differentiate itself. But I mean, Rising should be able to differentiate itself. Right. So we'll see how, how, how many 
what kind of revenue they're going to come up with. And if they do it and make sense, I think I think they're going to continue doing this series. Yeah, I mean, if there's a second event, we'll know that it was successful. I think this is just a first. Right. Kind of we'll see if probe and see how it goes. Yeah. And I'm hearing, uh, uh, did they announce more future shows rising in terms of like October, November, or December? Or They announced the Yokohama show in October. 24th. And then they, they I don't think they've, I think they just said that there's what, four more events this year. Yeah. They've announced the Yokohama show, and I assume everyone's assuming that the other one's the New Year's Eve show. Right. So, so Yokohama is October 24th. Mm-hmm. And uh, Deep actually is doing the show on October 23rd. Yes. The day before. And yes. we can talk about this one because they're putting a lot of fights on, like Deep just announced a bunch of fights on many, many shows, right? Including. Yeah, I mean, Deep just announced a ton of stuff going on in September and October. Mm-hmm. It's like they have a ton of fights they have to get done before the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it's one of the days. In October, they're doing two events on one day. So, I mean, they're really just pumping it out. Right. And doing the deep jewels, too, right? Yes, yes. So, that's like, I, I didn't even count, but that must that like, must be like almost close to 100 fights. Who knows? Yeah, they have, uh, plus they're doing a big amateur event for deep yeah. jewels. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, that's six events in two months, I think. Well, <laughs> so, here's I mean, what it is. And let's look at this. Because we do see a couple of the uh, fighters who is familiar with the Rising fans in the car too, guys like mm-hmm. Judy O'Hara or Yasuki, right? Ito, yeah. Ito, right. So I mean, obviously, people kind of knows Deep and Rising is sort of like a, you know, mm-hmm. Rising uh, Deep is sort of like a minor league Rising now, so they get to use the uh, Rising fighters. Well, it seems like. A big part of Deep's business model right now is producing the talent for Rising. I mean, I don't, I haven't done the numbers, but I think it's fair to say that no one's contributed more fighters to Rising than Deep. Mm-hmm. And um, these shows seem to be a mixture of kind of like veterans' fights or half of the card, and then the other half of the card is just a bunch of like Rising prospects, mm-hmm. and they're just kind of trying to build the next generation of talent. It looks like. Right. And here's what it is, though. For a, a Japanese hardcore fan's point of view, I think also besides the Juriohara and Tetsuya Seiki and those rising fighters, there's two big surprises, which is the Shuto's former champion, Fukuda's, on the card. Mm-hmm. Yes. And also, I think it was... A, who else? There was some Zest champion. On the, oh, Kogane who is a Zest mm-hmm. champion, right? Who is on the card. So basically they're picking up a smaller promotions champions into deep now. Well, I think, I mean, I'm looking at it from the outside, but my opinion is during the pandemic, no one's been putting on more events than deep. Yeah. And Shuto's events on Abima TV looked like almost like ghost towns. There's not really that many people there in attendance. Mm-hmm. And maybe people are just wanting to go to deep because they're the ones putting on fights. Yeah, well, it makes sense. And uh, right, so it seems like, and also I think it's almost obvious to the most of the Japanese fighters that if you win in deep, you get a chance to go fight for rising. Yeah, exactly. And, and in the time of the pandemic, when most of the anybody is almost reluctant to travel to outside the country, you know, you feel like that's the best choice you have, right, on your hand. Well, plus, um, 
I mean, Deep is run by Sayaki. And wasn't Sayaki kind of the PR guy for Pride? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, he, when it was a – exactly. He was – I think he had the title of the head of PR or something like that back in Pride. Well, I mean, he has pretty close connections with Sakakibara. Sure. And, and, and it's obvious that Deep is very rising. close with uh, mm -hmm. Rising. And uh, and I'm telling this on the record. Like Sometimes, like, these days I'm having a little difficulty scoring comp tickets for – our sponsors and stuff because there's so much limited seats available on Rising. Yeah. If I can get through with the Rising people to get ticket, I go through Mr. Saeki-san and he yeah. will score for me. So, yeah, so that tells you, right, something. I will say one of the funnier fights on this one on, on the Deep 1 and 3 card is that Super Megaton himself is fighting this guy named Saint. Oh, I know. And Saint, I feel like, must be like a GI or something. I don't know. He's like a big black guy. I don't know what he's doing in Japan. He's, I, mean, I just assume he's a GI, but um, <laughs> he knocked out his last opponent at a, in his first deep show in like ridiculous fashion. It's such like a, it was almost like the fight didn't even happen. <laughs> he kind of looked seriously messed up. So you know that, kind of interested to see how that goes because heavyweight is so I'm not tiny into this. The Japanese mm -hmm. boy who got knocked out by the big boy, the yeah, he's actually a, a decent wrestler from Japan University. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he actually works with. This is a name you, you probably haven't heard in a while, but he works with Mr. Maximo Blanco. Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, that doesn't doesn't matter how good of a wrestler you are when a two hundred and sixty five pound giant hits you right in the oh, face. I know. <laughs> but also, let me tell you another thing about him is that he's also a big Japanese guy, right? So mm -hmm. he on the other deep show he works as a security guard. Oh really? Yeah, so he's actually pretty close with working with deep in that sense. That was interesting because the another chance, you know? His opponent, Saint, he trains at the Y and K Sports Academy. Yeah, okay. And I've noticed I think that's a gym that's closely affiliated with Deep. Yes. Because a lot of I think Deep actually opened a Deep Jewels ladies only gym inside of there. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the girls that are on these amateur events are coming from that as well. But with the Deep Jewels 34 card coming up, unlike the last event, this event has a lot more prospects on it. Oh, yeah, I know. Let's talk about that because I'm surprised mm -hmm. that <sighs> Izawa is going down to 105. Well, she's not on this card. She's on a deep card. Deep, deep card, right, yeah. And so well, Deep 34 has a lot of prospects on it. The ones that, I mean, what's what I'll say that's interesting about this is Deep seems to be like leaning into the microweight division now. Yes. Which, for those who are kind of old fans, just think that is like Satoko Shinashi division. Shinashi, right. And yeah. yeah and so, but there's a bunch of these girls are like, there's like four girls in the microweight division fighting on this event. Uh -huh. It's kind of interesting. But this event's the big fight, probably people care about in the media and the fans is the Kate Lotus fight. She's kind of like the hot fighter from uh, Kobe. And Deep has been promoting her a lot. They've had some videos of her training with Mika Nagano right. and Mizuki Suruse. But yeah, actually, I've noticed that Deep Jewels start pumping up more videos on YouTube, introducing yeah, but, those girls. And not just Kate Lotus, I'm surprised that Furuse-san, who is very young and became a mother, apparently married to a very rich family, right? Oh, she has to. I mean, I'm yeah, I've, I've, in a huge house and stuff like that. Also, has a huge house, and she drives a Porsche, and she appears to be a construction worker. So. I feel like her family or her husband's family has a lot of money. 
Really? Or well, maybe they own construction business. Who knows? I mean. But I mean, she has like a Porsche SUV <laughs> and a house that's massive by Japanese standards. But um, she's popular because she won that. No, she she made it to the finals of that reality show on Abima. Yes, Abima, yes. And um, Itsuki won that, and that's how she got the 1FC contract. Mm-hmm. But Mizuki was popular on that show, which is why she's still popular. And um, she's kind of had mixed results. And I think her last fight was like a fight in Rising, where she received a lot of criticism for kind of being like a pushover. Right. But she like lost, I think, in like 20 or 30 seconds to, not maybe not that fast, but she lost very quickly to Panasera. But now she's had a kid. She's married to a deep fighter. And she's back. This fight's at atom weight, but I think they'll have her go back down to microweight. And well, I'd say that it makes sense, right, for Deep Jewels to explore that division because in, only in Asia is small girls like that, you know, <laughs> almost, you know. Well, they're doing what I think Invicta should have done, and in that promotions need to be able to protect themselves. So it's great that Deep Jewels had a deep atom weight division, mm-hmm. but as soon as you win a title, you're going to go bye bye. Mm-hmm. And there's no other division, there's no other promotion that has microweight. And so this will allow them to hold on to some of those fighters a little bit longer. Right. Well, actually, um, this is true for the fact because I did talk to her, but Shannon Knapp did think about 95 pounds and under division. I remember we talked about it, but it never got developed. But maybe she's still thinking. Who knows, right? Yeah. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure they're going to add a number of shows, right, under the Access company. So then maybe... Deep and Ju- deep jewels could go back to maybe do some kind of deals with the uh, Invicta again, so they could yeah. just can go back and forth, and they can be great. Up the ninety five divisions all together too, you know. Yeah, that'd be great, and it's kind of funny because speaking of how, how promotions promote fighters, and you you mentioned it, I've noticed as well. Deep jewels has been releasing a lot more promotional content recently, mm-hmm. and um, they've been promoting one girl as a cosplayer. Mm-hmm. One girl, they're promoting her as the smallest fighter ever to fight in Deep Jewels. <laughs> so it's just kind of a funny way to promote somebody. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Yeah, my size here. Would you, please? Sorry. No, that's fine. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, oh, you know, I, we get a comment. I'm going to have to mention this. The Mr. Jamie says, I wish Maximo Blanco was still fighting. He would have been great in Rising Featherweight Division. I totally agree. And actually, we even talked about it. And I asked Maximo, so do, you, do you think you could fight for Rising Featherweight Division? And he's like, oh, yeah. And he's like, do you think you could beat anybody there? He's like, easy, easy, right? All right? How much do you weigh? He's like, oh, I, I would hop on the scale, take a photo, and send it to me right now. <laughs> he was like, a, like almost like 80 kilos. I'm like, ah, oh, forget it. <laughs> yeah. Right. But anyway, so go back to a. Uh, but what's funny about Deep Jewels 34 mm-hmm. is that before the event happened, they promote they Deep um, um, announced a bunch of women's fights that are kind of like bigger fights that aren't happening on Deep Jewels. They're happening on Deep cards. Yeah. And so the big women's fights for Deep are all happening on Deep. So it's um, Seika Izawa is fighting Siwoo Park in a 49-kilo fight, which means only one thing, that the winner is going to rise in. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, that's a that's a real top fight, right? I mean, yeah, because deep and deep jewels don't have a forty nine kilo division; they only have forty eight. 
So 49 seems like a very standout number when that was announced. And yeah. then um, the other big fight is Mickey Matono is back to action. The former champion yep. is coming back. And I think there was another one. Oh, and the other girl that fought in Rising, Edu Takayabashi, the hot prospect, is also fighting on a deep card. So a lot of these girls that have kind of already started to get a following, deep, I think, is moving them over to deep cards to help sell deep tickets. I think Rising have to start developing new challenges for Hamasaki. Yeah. I mean, it's just basically that's what it is. I mean, that division is dying. I mean, the entire women's division is dying in a way. Well, and it's it's interesting because it feels like deep and deep jewels have kind of taken up this, like, we have to fix this. Mm-hmm. And so deep jewels is holding these amateur events to find new talent. And then deep jewels is, as opposed to a couple of years ago, where it was like a bunch of old veterans. Now it's a bunch of young prospects, all oh, of them yeah. probably having four or five fights. And I was actually talking to a photographer friend of mine who's been taking pictures in Japan for many years. And he was saying it's deep. They're promoting these girls too quickly now. Mm-hmm. Because a girl like Kate Lotus, who's only been training for one, two years tops, she should be brought up a little bit slower. I mean, putting her on a main event now with all this pressure, if she loses, she might quit or retire. Right. And you kind of might, and it's kind of like uh, you might ruin these people before they've reached their full potential. Well, I think, yeah, Saiki no better so even though putting her on the main event maybe they're putting her against a not so good fighter or at least the fighter has a good possibility that she will win kind of stuff yeah so that's what he was saying my opinion is i think they're trying to just they're trying to take advantage of rising right now and rising's kind of created a lot of popularity mm-hmm. and the sport's more popular now than it has been probably in 15 20 years sure. and all these young people want to do it now so get them into it, get them experience, and start moving them up the ranks and start ha- no longer having to put these 45-year-old fighters on these cards. You can now put 18, 20-year-olds on and yeah, start right. building a new fan base. And, and out of any young ones, even though we talked about Mitsuki, Furuse, and Izawa, and, and I think another girl has to be a prospect is Sakura, right? I mean, yeah, but I mean, if you've been following her on social media recently, she's been hanging out with a bunch of boys. Uh, yeah, doesn't seem to be training so often. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> you know? It sounds like pretty much everything Aoki said might be true. Perhaps <laughs> she's just a lot of trouble, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, that's true. We'll see, you know. But let's hope that she's a good talent, you know. But now, what if. Yeah, go ahead. What they've been doing recently, I mean, they discovered Seika Izawa last year. And she's probably the future of the women's divisions in Japan. They discovered Biki Matono. I mean, Saudi Oshima, these names are being thrown out all the time now. All these girls, like, made their debuts in 2020, so it's kind of crazy. So they are finding some diamonds amongst these girls that they just keep pumping up. I suggested Mr. Saeki to tell Izawa to still building up and go for 115. Yeah, that's weird to me. Um why would you cut down? I mean, she wasn't cutting weight for 52 kg. So it was easy to go down to 105. Yeah, but I mean, I'd go the opposite route. While she's young, I'd start bulking up. Oh, I know. But I think here's what it is. I think that most of the Japanese fighters who is actually looking at the outside Japan, because he's always actually interested in fighting for Victor and maybe looking into, like, you know, possibly another promotion. But I think they have this set mind. If you go to outside Japan, they have to go down to weight class. Because they just have a disadvantage, which yeah. it's not the same for every fighter, you know. I just, 
she's so young and she's it's not like she's she doesn't have a lot of muscle mass yeah so i feel like if she went to the u.s or she started doing like a physical strength and conditioning program right grow into 52 kg but exactly it takes like two three years to go up to 115 it doesn't have to do immediate stuff you know yeah exactly yeah but right now i think if she feels that she wants to try 105 and then we'll see is what they're thinking you know yeah yeah but now it comes to the uh, female uh fights let's talk about one championship because huh. it seems like uh it's gonna go ahead with a show right i mean and uh it's yeah. and may amaguchi left japan yeah, they all left, so they're they're all showing up in Singapore now. It looks like it's actually going to go down. Mm-hmm. Saw Elise Anderson arrived, Itsuki arrived, Yumi May arrived, so should no, be good. And um, yeah, I think this is going to be a good show. It's a great event. I mean, they've put together a great card. Yes, the best prospect you can find at one hundred and five, pretty much. Yeah, right? I'm pretty much on a free agent. I'm very interested in the results of the tournament and this opening round in particular. Mm-hmm. I mean, 1FC, have they handled it terribly? Yes. They they haven't promoted some of the fighters the way they should be, I don't think. This event's been kind of bumbled in the fact that the one girl fought, got kicked out of the tournament, then fought again and got brought back into the tournament. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of strange. But I like the whole blood sport slash kickboxer angle of having a fighter from each country mm-hmm. and making it kind of like this international tournament. Mm-hmm. And... Um, <laughs> Bringing in someone like Ham Sohi really legitimizes it. Yeah, exactly. So I wish they were more, more in the United States or North American side because it seems like not many, actually, literally nobody's really like recognizing this show at all. You know, no, that's what happens when your American representative is Elise Anderson, though. I mean, um, yeah, that's. True. I was cracking up. Did you see what her comments were ahead of this? No, what was her comment? I think she said, I'm paraphrasing, that she had outgrown Invicta and that she has no plans to return and that she likes one FC, one championship, which is hilarious because I think she went two and one in Invicta and one of those wins was a split decision. <laughs> so I'm just like, well, I guess she has to say that, right, for the one championship, yeah. you know? Yeah, talk about burning your bridges. I mean, <laughs> oh, I know, but the fact, I don't know why she did that because. You know, as you know, the Invicta just did the show last night. It was a good show. Yeah. I mean, it was night before, I mean. You know, it was entering a new era, like the show title. And I'm yeah, I don't know why we say that, because Invicta has new owners now. They're probably better than they've ever been. Right. And they're going to add more number of shows. And chances yeah. are that if she loses to Itsuki Hirata, when is she going to get a next fight? Well, that's my thing. I was going to say is, I mean, does she do no research? One championship... The amount of Americans they use regularly is less than five people. Oh, I know. Exactly. I know that. Right. And, and I can't blame them because of the Corona, Singapore government is one of the toughest and strictest. So right. what the heck, you know? But even before then, it was like they bring Americans over to lose. They're the Asian market and they want to be popular in the Asian countries. It makes sense. They're like mm. The only people they have that they care about are like Eddie Alvarez, Demetrius Johnson, people like that. Right. And and those and Sage Northcott is he did, is he ever going to fight again? I mean, uh, who knows? Because he, I mean, he, he, he was scheduled to fight Shinyaoki, then he got sick. But right, because he had COVID pretty bad. But um, um I mean, Shinyaoki actually even complained on Instagram uh, live to well, I mean, championship. Shinyaoki also told Sage Northcott to eat shit. So 
Yeah, exactly. Right. So, but that's his, that's his, he's a pro wrestler. So that's okay. Yeah. You know, you can also tell about who one FC one championship wants to win based because some people have been complaining about how um, they thought tournaments should normally be set up where you have like the number one seed face the last seed. Of course. Of course. This tournament, that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to be more of like, these are who we want to win. <laughs> these are the matches we want. I mean, obviously, they want Itsuki to win this month. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. so obvious the way the brackets were set up. And uh, like I, What I, markets do they care about? They, want, they like China, so they give Mengbo the uh, girl from India, who's quite popular. And uh, but they don't really care about the Indian market that much, so that kind of makes sense. So they want to win there, and they give Stamp Fairtex the opportunity. Stamp Fairtex is the only girl coming into the tournament off of a loss, and they're giving her opponent to try to revenge that and get her back into the popular graces. So, but well, yeah, it was good. Elise will probably make more than this fight than Invicta Champ makes, probably. Small <laughs> yeah, point. She now is now a full-time fighter. Last year, she was working in the COVID ward. Wow, that's... I will say, that is one nice thing about... One of the nice things about One Championship is if you go back and you read some of the interviews, One Championship does a great job of promoting their fighters. Oh, yeah. And they release a ton of content. If you go back and read some of their old stuff on VV May, Uh May Yamaguchi, when she signed, she talked about how before one championship, I mean, she had to work these weird jobs. I mean, she wasn't making any money fighting. It's kind of like, where is this going? And kind of like how one championship essentially saved her. They allowed her to become a full-time fighter and do what she wants to do because they paid her way more than anyone else had ever been paying her before. You know, then, you know of course, because me used to fight for Shuto and Deep mm-hmm. Jewels and stuff like that. I know exactly how much those girls are making. So, of course, yeah. but... No, I have to retrieve my word to that comment. And it says Alice will probably make more than the fight the Invicta champion makes. Maybe not anymore because Invicta's new owners. And I know yeah. I, I, we used to manage some of the champions. I know how much champions were making back then. And it's actually competitive to some of the Japanese male fighters are making in one championship. So maybe not. If you lose yeah, I, was talking about it. I was talking about that earlier today. I mean, one championship seems like this strange promotion where some fighters get paid really, really well. Well, some, some fighters get paid DJ, like almost nothing. Yeah, DJ Eddie and Sage, that's a different issue, right? Like I'm pretty sure like Holger Gracie gets paid well, right? Got paid well. Well I mean Tom Sohi, they said that she got paid three times her rising salary, which just seems nuts. Because she was getting paid thirty thousand to fight for rising. So ninety thousand? Yeah, something like that. Well, you know what? Actually, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be even surprised if they paid a hundred k signing bonus, actually, because I know they have paid signing bonus to some of the top fighters. I know they have paid a monthly salary. I, I can't name mention, but there are a couple of fighters who's on the monthly salary contract. One of one who's it makes no sense to me. There's the Korean fighter Song Gaeon. Mm-hmm. He's on a monthly salary for like five years and hasn't has yet to fight for the promotion. So I'm kind of wondering what's happening there. Well, I, let's see how is she happy with getting monthly salary or she's unhappy not getting fights? Is she like vocal about anything? Or? No, I think she's very happy getting a monthly salary and drinking tapioca on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> And then you know, I, actually, you're killing an athlete, though. Then she's probably not thinking about fighting, right? Yeah, if it's five years. And if she's happy with it, I guess she's happy. Now, yes. let me ask you this: What's your predictions of who's going to win this tournament? 
I'm going to throw this out there. Okay, so I like all these fighters. This is not an atom weight tournament. This is a straw weight tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to remember the one championship is nuts, and they decide to rename everything. Mm-hmm. And no matter what anybody says, all I've seen this week of all these fighters is pictures of them cutting weight. Yeah. So you can't tell me that there's no weight cutting in one championship. All I've seen all week are pictures of them stepping on scales. They all weigh over 54 kilos. You just have to pass that dehydration test. Yeah, they're allowed to weigh, what, 52 kilos on the last day? So, I mean, you can weigh in at 115 pounds, so they're not atom weights. So, Ham Sohi should be the favorite, but some of these girls might be bigger than her. So, that might be kind of the difference maker. Mm -hmm. And her opponent in the opening round is kind of hard to measure because she's undefeated. Yes. That being said... Sohi Ham should be the clear favorite to win this tournament. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's a very good grappler, and she's difficult to submit. And none of these girls are like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, eight, black belt aces that are going to take her down and submit her. So, <clears throat> if anything, I think... Plus, if people kind of forget, in the last Hamasaki fight, she wasn't really winning the striking exchanges. It was the grappling exchanges that she used to help even the odds in the fight. Right. So I think she's the most well-rounded fighter. She's the most experienced fighter and she's got to be the favorite. But that being said, this tournament has a bunch of young prospects in it mm-hmm. and it's, you have no idea what any of them could do. So it's going to be hard to tell, but I pick her. Yeah. I, I, I have to agree with that because so he has the opponent, even though she's the opponent, the, the opponent, she has been fighting nobody. Right, yeah. so it really doesn't matter. And even though Selhi Ham ends up fighting Stamp, right, if she wins, if the Stamp yeah. wins on the semifinal, as long as Selhi Ham plays smart and does not, you know, just yeah, I mean, striking, she should be fine with that too. Plus, I mean, Stamp's a good kickboxer, yes, but I mean, Selhi Ham will just take her down. Right. But let me ask you this, though. Have you ever seen Min Bo's recent fights? Ming Bo is awesome. Um, I wrote yeah. an article on her a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. She's right. part of this really cool generation of Chinese women. I mean, she, Weili Zhang, and Yang Wu all made their debuts the same year. Mm-hmm. And she's actually, she actually beat Zhang Weili. Right, yeah. And um, she's just cool. I mean, she's just fun to listen to. She's got a unique personality. And, I mean, she's been knocking people out. Yeah, I think she's. I have a feeling she's going to be make it to the final. To tell the truth, so my opinions on the tournament are just based off of looking at it. Uh-huh. Tom Sohi, Meng Bo, and Itsuki all stand out to me. Yeah, I mean, Tom Sohi's already fought the um, uh, Ukrainian girl. I think her name's Alina or Alona. Yeah, and well, she beat her pretty one sidedly. Sure. <laughs> right. So I mean, you know if. Mingbo and Itsuki wins, they will have to fight in the semifinal, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I think Itsuki's kind of an interesting phenomenon because she's so popular, you forget she's only had four pro fights. Oh, I know. And it's kind of like, I mean, her last opponent, I think her record might be negative now. Mm-hmm. It's either 50-50 or negative. So Itsuki, it's just kind of like, eh, she's looked really good, but she really hasn't beaten anyone exactly. of the level of some of the high-level girls in this tournament. Yeah, so you have to understand, in any sports, you have to fight, compete against a better yeah. athletes to get better. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you can't be competing against 
somebody who's less not good as you yeah make you bad and, it doesn't happen no so and ritu fogat the girl from india very popular wrestler she has to be probably the bottom seed of this tournament mm -hmm. i mean she lost i think to b win who's been beaten by several people in this tournament but b wins is like a good journeyman fighter but she's not the same level as some of the girls in this tournament and Ritu's only been fighting, I think, for less than a, I mean, what, two years maybe. She's mm -hmm. just essentially a wrestler who just takes, tries to take you down. And when she gets to some of the tougher people that know what to do when you're down, I think she's going to be in trouble. Now, did one ever announced what would happen if any of these girls miss weight or fail the hydration test? Hydration well, test. A, probably nothing because we know that all they do is they just act like it didn't happen. <laughs> unofficially. I hope they but, don't do that. Do they have an alternate? There is an alternate. The May Yamaguchi fight is the alternate fight. Oh, okay. So May's alternate. Okay. There is an alternate, which is good. I think every tournament should have an alternate. Sure. Uh, Rising to. taught us that lesson with their kickboxing tournament. Oh, yeah, always of course. An alternate I, don't, I don't know why they did that. Right, yeah. And May's opponent is a girl who's never fought outside of Brazil, so she's impossible to measure. Mm -hmm. But, I mean... Hey, but Brazil, right? it could be Diamond yes. Dozen or it could be somebody really tough, so who knows? Right. I mean, I think most of the girls she's beaten are just kind of like newbies as well, so it's just kind of impossible to rank her at this point. Sure. All right, so, I mean, I think we both agree that Sohi Han is the favorite and probably the mm -hmm. run-up will be maybe Mimbo, you know? Yeah. But that's going to be a very interesting fight. I mean, I'm very excited to see this, and yeah. You know, I, I, I just hope, you know, some of the winners, I, I hope like one championship start actually maybe even did with Invicta, go back and forth and stuff yeah. like that. I'll, I'll say what this reminds me of is people don't really talk about it ever is Bellator had a women's tournament with Megumi Fuji mm -hmm. a long time ago. And time that ago. tournament was also pretty stacked. It had Megumi Fuji, Carla Esparza, yeah. Yeah. Jessica Aguilar, Zoila Frosto, Lisa, Lisa Ellis. Yeah all of whom at the time were like top fighters. And this tournament reminds me of that. And that these are a lot of like young prospects and veterans mm -hmm. who all kind of represent a lot of potential in the Adamweight division. Mm -hmm. So that's what makes this tournament fun to me. Oh yeah, I know. Man, I, I mean, I still think about the Bellator tournament since you mentioned, actually, I think that was first planning to do it at 125. Right? And I think Megumi Fuji signed it. She was willing to do 125, but after that, it changed to 115. I think because of Megumi oh, Fuji, which was actually interesting development, I thought, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy when you look at the people who were in it, because at the time, you're like, who's Carla Esparza? And it's like, oh, she became the UFC champion. Oh, so. I know. And it's amazing that I think Carla lost to Megumi in like less than two minutes kind of stuff, right, back then. He was the second I round. there in that show, was, yeah. It was like a crazy, like, rolling. She had like, Megumi did one of her favorite things I've ever seen. She did like a rolling double wrist lock. It was kind of crazy. So you know, I, this, I think it was three weeks ago. I had a I actually had a long conversation with Megumi. And mm -hmm. at the end I asked her, Hey, what what if you, you were it was a women UFC women's division when you were young? Or like let's say if you're like twenty years old right now, what do you think how you do in UFC? And she's like, Yeah, I think I can be a champion. <laughs> It's funny you say that because people talk about Ronda Rousey and the UFC a lot. They forget that there was a time before Ronda Rousey that the UFC was interested in bringing women over. Oh, yeah. And 
that they had the girl was actually in one of their video games. What was her name? Megumi fought her and beat her. Erika Montoya. Well, Erika Montoya, they, they thought about bringing her over as the first. Oh, she was the commentary for one of the shows in the UFC, too. They booked her yeah. commentary, which was amazing, right, back then. And they actually put her in the game, I think. She was in the video game. That's but, another talent. I always say this, but somebody should find out what she's doing right now and do some Netflix documentary kind of thing, because I would love to. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. basically disappeared all of a sudden. She was one yeah. of the biggest names, right, on the women's mm -hmm. MMA back then. Yep. Yeah, so... But anyway, so yeah, this is really good for women's MMA. We're very excited, you know. And yeah. so let's get to the next topic, which I wanted to mention a little quick, is the Shuto's next show has this yes. guy named Mr. Yamato Nishikawa, which is... Yeah, he's fighting Tencho. Oh, yeah, I know Tencho, right. Which is another... I, Tencho. I actually went to Tencho's restaurant like last month. Really? Okay, Tencho is just for people who doesn't know he's Mr. Kawana, who fights for Rising. Yes. Uh, and mm -hmm. he, he works as a manager for what kind of restaurant? He works at a, a Shabu Shabu restaurant. A Shabu Shabu restaurant. Right, right, yeah. And the, the, the Hokkaido, Hokkaido Shabu Shabu, uh -huh. the specialty, I think, is lamb ah. and sheep. And um, he has like a, a, he has like a Shuto belt on display when you go in. Really? And he gives a bonus. You get extra meat if you tell him you're a rising fan. Really? So he has like That's bonuses great. for his Yeah, it's great. Right. I mean, and, and he he's you know a lot of people don't remember he actually fought for world series of fighting right yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so he was the first japanese guy who signed to world series of fighting unfortunately he didn't do well but yeah. but anyway so he's fighting a 18 year old named mm -hmm. yamato nishikawa now he was on a nine is he like a nine fight win streak or something yes. that's and he's 18 yeah. years old. He used to be living in Sapporo, which is like northern end of Japan. Mm -hmm. So he really didn't have too, too many competitions or a good training environment. Moved to Tokyo. Now just storming through the competition. Yeah. Now, what is your impression of Mr. Nishikawa? I mean, to be 18 years old and already have the experience he has is kind of nuts. Mm -hmm. And looking into this fight, I mean, I like Tensho, but Tensho's kind of fall on some rough times. He's lost two in a row, but I mean, both those losses were to solid opponents. Right. So you have to take that into account. But you also look at Nishikawa and be like, this guy's on a nine fight win streak and seems to really be peaking, like really hitting his stride. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he's got to be the favorite going into the fight. That's just me. Yeah, here's what it is. I think if he, he beats Tencho, Kana, he don't have anybody left to fight and shoot anymore. Right. So natural move for him to even go to the rising, or mm -hmm. but he have some problem with the shooto rising kind of stuff. If he can't do it, then he's gonna have to look into the outside Japan after this. I think. Yeah, just because. Also, just because. I mean, shooto seems to really just become like a feeder league at this point. So, mm -hmm. if you're serious about fighting as a career at this point, I feel like you have to move on. Right, but remember, the Shuto seems like they're feeding league for one championship, but it's not like all the champions are going there. In fact, right. no, no right. champions went there, pretty much, right? Yeah, it seems like one championship's predominantly interested in younger Japanese fighters. Mm -hmm. and so they're not really interested. In, they want to make champions. They don't want someone that's already a champion, is what it seems to be. Well, so they then, want people like Itsuki. They want people like Ryoto Sawada and people like that. Sure, then they should be picking up Nishikawa then. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I hate to do it. I don't know who manages him, but 
I mean, if nobody does, I might even go reach out to him because you got to be a bad manager if you can't sell this guy. <laughs> As a professional fighter, too, with a nine-fight win streak, you got to think he's in a stride. So now's the time to make money. Right. And if he wins the next one, that's 10-fight win streak, and he's going to have a shoot title. He's 18. Yeah. Uh, you know? So time to go to Ryzen, time to go to PFL, if that's an option, time to go to Bellator, time to go somewhere. Well, I mean, if I were his manager, I would actually even call UFC first and see if yeah. you're interested. But then I'm going to get to this next point. But even though I have a feeling if I were his manager and if I even call UFC, I have a feeling they will pass on him still because of the fight style. Uh, okay. And the opponents he's been beating, which is not yeah. too impressive, you know. True, but would you maybe try to get him on the the Asian Contender Series or something like I that? I would love to, but if it happens next year, but I can tell this on the record right now because I think people knows. But uh, you know, Tatsuro Taira, who is the flyweight champion, who you know also twenty one years old, protege. Mick Maynard thought that he's not that exciting enough, so really? he passed on signing him. So, in so hurdles are pretty high right now, right? Yeah. Okay. And so you got to Nishikawa likes to fight off his back, right? Most of the time. So what the moral of the story is: if you're not like Edi Prohachin, just spinning elbow, knocking people out. You not necessarily have to spinning elbow, but I think you have to be a little bit more dominant and and, mm -hmm. and finish earlier if you're fighting much lesser guys. Okay, makes sense. I really think so. That's the feeling I got. It's not that's not the exact word he said, but you know, yeah, which makes sense because right now, most of the time, unfortunately, like like who shoot or they don't have that much uh, fighters, top yeah. level fighters anymore. And like for example, Tyra for Fukuda, who was a champion of shooter, but he didn't get to fight for a whole year. <laughs> so. <clears throat> Is, is the UFC pretty direct? If you just ask them, will they tell you if they're interested or not? They will tell you direct. I mean, I, I don't know to every manager, but to me, they do it. Because I know, especially Sean, I know for him for a long time. So okay. he would tell me flat out. And Mick Maynard, too. Mick Maynard is very, I wouldn't say blunt, but very straightforward. If he's interested, he'll tell you. If you want to see him more footage, he'll tell you, hey, do you have any more footage that I can review kind of stuff? Oh. That's why, then let's, I'm going to get to the next topic then. Then why the hell is Rin Nakai's manager is not reaching out to, you know? Yeah. Well, Rin Nakai is just kind of this weird thing too, where she's made like the same complaint that she's always made. Like, oh, I don't have any training partners on Shikoku. If you, if you want to be my training partner, email me. I'll pay for you to come out. You can train exactly. with me. Exactly. Here's a tweeter she tweeted the other day that she's willing to pay a guarantee, which means it's like fee. Yeah. You know? And and on top of that, to join, like right now they're doing a campaign to join her gym. Nobody have to pay for joining fee. Nobody have to pay for monthly fee. Well, my question is, is she broke or does she have extra money lying around? Because it seems to be one week she's broke and the other week she can pay <laughs> for you to come train with her. No, but then a the few days later... Her friends dropped off like some very expensive steak and uh, horse meat. Here you go. Yeah. So they can eat. So she's always like asking for free food and, you know. Yeah. Then I, I had to laugh because some fan like, tweeted at her when she said that, like, wouldn't it just be easier if you moved to Tokyo? <laughs> wouldn't it just be easier if you moved somewhere where you could have access to training partners and fight promotions? Oh yeah, of course. It would be Instead of easier. living on a rural island and hoping that they all come out to you. Well, but the problem is, I think it anywhere she goes, her husband, coach Usami, has to go. 
So that's yeah. double the expenses. And I, I don't know anything about them. I'm pretty sure that he has to earn living by being there, right? I don't know if he has a yeah. job or running a gym. So I think it's just impossible for her to go alone. And that's the, that's the main obstacle. Yeah, well, it just doesn't seem to be working out. It hasn't been working for them for 10 years. They've constantly complained about no training partners and no money, but they seem to be, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I mean. Oh, I know. Just, and, and on top of that, she constantly complains and that like there's somebody else out there blocking them, her from getting fights and they're thinking about fighting a lawsuits and blah, blah, blah. But, they have to understand that nobody gains from blocking her from getting fights. Nobody. Yeah. I mean, promotions would would love to have her fight for them. Yeah, no one's exactly. trying to stop her from fighting. She's a ticket seller. I mean, sure. her but social media is steadily growing. Every, every four or five tweets, she always has to mention how great Usami is. Everything Usami, the decision he makes are all correct. Yeah, I follow her, him, or whatever that is. But that, she has to realize that's a problem. You know, It must be weird to write that about yourself. Oh, I know. I mean, no. You know, you know. He's who's writing that Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. Somebody should go there with the camera, still filming them. It would be a great documentary to follow them for the next five, ten years. Oh my god, yeah. Just them in their empty gym with her collecting beetles. Well, too bad though. Really, too bad. She's not getting any younger. So, I mm-hmm. mean. I mean, again, I mean, she has a choice to go to Invicta or One or there's so many places she could have been approached. Do anything. Go back to Pancrase. Go to Deep. Oh, go to right. Rising. Do anything. Or Bellator. They'll pay her well. They'd love her. Yeah. I mean, that's too bad. You know. Well, anyway, so we always have to finish with Miss Lin Nakai update. Wait. <laughs> I want to add one more thing. Okay. What is it? Yeah. Last week, we brought up Kubo. Oh. And we said that we would look into Kubo. Oh, yeah. That's right. I forgot about it. Let's look at the Kubo. Mr. Look Kubo. Look into Kubo. I now know why Sakakibara wants him in Rising. <laughs> this oh, guy. First off, Sakakibara. First off, Sakakibara is obsessed with YouTubers, uh-huh. and Kubo's a YouTuber, uh-huh. and he has a famous, semi-famous wife named Sarah. Yeah, and they have a YouTube channel with like 150,000 subscribers. Mm-hmm. So I mean, 39 million views, pretty popular. But this guy is weird. Okay, so. Right. Now, this girl is weird, isn't it? Oh, yeah. guy is weird. Which both weird, isn't it? Oh, so, his wife comes from a super rich family. Okay. And when I say rich, she doesn't know how to wash her own hair. Oh, she Because she goes to a beauty salon three times a week since she was a child. Oh, okay. And she bought her brother a Ferrari for a birthday present. Really? So, we're talking that kind of money. <laughs> Like, like they bought a pet monkey, <laughs> so they have like a pet monkey. Yeah, and, I guess, yeah. It says that she is the real. She even claimed that she's a super rich, like yeah. a daughter of the super rich family, right? And so they got married uh-huh. and then divorced, and then they, I think got, they got back together again. Okay. And my friend pointed this out to me. There's this really weird event that happened where. Apparently, she told him that she wanted to start making adult videos. Yeah, I read that, yeah. And he went to Twitter to ask his followers how to talk her out of it. And so, yeah, just a bunch of stuff like that. And someone told me, I think, that he used to make a lot of money investing. 
And then he lost yeah, all he, of his he, money. He lost it all, right, yeah. And she made him shave his head on a YouTube video as part of like the shame of losing his money. So <laughs> they seem like a pretty crazy couple. And if they keep it up, they might need to become a weekly segment of just like, what, is, what are the Kubos up to? That's so funny, though. I mean, maybe that's what they're looking to do, right? Well, that's my thing. Because she has her own, she has her own YouTube channel that is like not popular at all. Very, un and I think part of me just she wants to be famous, mm -hmm. and by getting back together with Kubo, she's like, oh, I get way more attention this way. So maybe that's why she came back. That's too funny. I, I mean, the fact that she wants to make AV videos, she's a YouTuber. She just seems to be really want attention, uh -huh. and getting a rising fight seems the way to get it. I, it's, I wonder, I mean, she could afford to buy brother Ferrari, so she has all the money in the world, but this is the way she wants to make herself famous. She could do something more something more interesting, like open more definitive business or do NPO, do something good for the world, you know? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but that would be actual work and less fun. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> she has to she has just want to have fun, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I got to start researching on her, find out what her father is doing. I'm pretty sure I can find out, you know? Well, I think she's a, I think her grandfather was Russian. Ah. Well, but, but is his grandfather the one who made the money? Oh, I don't know who made the money, but um, I think she said an insane thing. The reason she didn't wash her own hair is because uh -huh. she was afraid she get robbed while, while she was doing it. <laughs> so... Just, uh, is, is there's also the possibility that she's one of those people that pretends like she's a lot richer than she is. Yeah, that I was just gonna say, right? Do you think because there's all those people that like go out and they like rent a Ferrari for a day and film a YouTube video? Yeah, some people have, so you have no idea, right? Yeah, huh? That's funny, but so it makes sense. I mean, Sakaki Bar is obsessed with YouTubers and they're YouTubers that are popular. Mm -hmm. They get a lot of attention and they're promoting rising on their YouTube channel, which mm -hmm. is something he's interested in. Uh, okay, all right, I found out. Her father runs Manga Kisa. You know, like a manga? Like a, a, like a, like a, essentially, like an internet cafe. It's in like the an US. internet cafe where you could sleep overnight and like read mm -hmm. magazines and manga there. And uh, it's yeah. really popular in Japan, right? I have the misfortune of being taller than the average Japanese person, so I can see over the booths as I walk by, and manga kisas are disgusting. <laughs> disgusting. Oh, I know, manga kisa. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's a popular business. I could see them making a lot of money. Hmm. So, yeah. Well, I think interesting. I think then maybe we should do the, the bi-weekly Nakairi update and bi-weekly Mr. Yes, Mrs. Cool. and see what they're going to do because I'm pretty sure she's going to still do something weird, right? Since his fight's coming up soon. Any person that wants to do porn who already has money raises a bunch of red flags. So I think this could be interesting. <laughs> right. So let's add that to the ours, you know, yeah. segment. Let's talk about her and husband every time. Let's see what they're yeah. going to do. Sounds good. All right. So that's it for today. I'm going to have to accommodate my son. He's bitching because his movie finished. He was watching King Kong versus Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, you got to put the next one in. All right. 
All right, so I guess I see you in two weeks. Yep, see you then. All right, thank you, Charlie. Bye. Bye-bye.